recording live from the Lucky Number 7 Lounge in the basement of Dine Drink Travel World Headquarters in the barren wastelands of far west Texas. This is Dine Drink Vegas, the podcast by and for everybody stuck at home who would rather be in the land of neon lights and bad decisions. I'm your host, John, also known as the baller on a budget. And in episode 19, it is last call for 2023. And we're going to review some of the stories we thought were pretty darn big. And of course, we're going to get into our drink of the day. But before we can do any of that, we have to introduce the founder of Dine Drink Travel, the king of comps, the leader in the luxury lounge, the high roller of the high plains, the man who is always waiting for that limo to take him away to his favorite luxury resorts. Of course, I'm talking about Bill. Bill, what do you have to say to the good folks today? Folks, thanks so much for joining us. And John, how are you today? I am doing just fine, just fine. And uh, we have uh, a drink of the day that wasn't what I planned. But that's because, you know, we've we've been barbecuing on my back porch. By the way, folks, as, as a seventh generation God-fearing Texan, I have to make a point here. When I say barbecuing, I don't mean cooking hamburgers. I mean, the smoker has been going for like 12 hours, but we had some time to kill. That let us change our drink drink of the day plan, and I really like what we came up with. John, why don't you tell our listeners what the base is, what you did with it, then I'll talk a little bit about how I did it differently. So today I was going to the liquor store, and I had planned to do a different cocktail, and uh, the liquor store I went into today, and this is one of the drawbacks of living in the barren wastelands of far west Texas, We have a number of liquor stores in our town, but none of them have the best selection because we're five hours from any big distribution center. Couldn't find the ingredients for the cocktail I wanted to make, so we're going to hold off on that till later down the road when we can get to some other bigger metropolitan area to buy the goodies I need. But they had a new product from Martini and Rossi that they're calling an aperitif, but the store had it next to the Martini and Rossi uh, uh, vermouths. Now we are not sponsored by Martini and Rossi's. I'm going to put that out there, not because we're ethically against getting sponsored. So if somebody, no, we're ethically in favor of whoever wants to give us money. Yeah. Or, or free booze, which we will also take. So, but I bought this bottle. This is their Fiero. This is a, an orange aperitif. It's similar to Aperol, which I actually bought a bottle of of Aperol because I'm going to make Aperol spritzes for my wife on New Year's because she's fancy like that. It's similar, but fancy not the, like Applebee's. Oh no, we're not going there. Okay. Um, well, they do have the best microwaves in the industry. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, it's somewhere between a vermouth and something like Aperol. It's similar in idea, uh, but it does have a different flavor and texture than Aperol. It's it's a denser texture. It's a sweeter texture very much akin to a a sweet vermouth. So you had the idea to use this to make a martini. Because I know more about vodka than you do. It may be the only thing in the world that I'm just better at than you are, but I know more about vodka than you do. There there are several things that you're better than me at, but yeah, vodka is one of them. So uh, let's start with your version of the cocktail, and then we'll go to mine. So... I didn't enjoy the Fiero when I I sifted it or had just a, a sip of it, right? It didn't smell or taste great on its own. Well, but, that depends. Do you like uh, Dayquil? <laughs> so it actually, to me, I, I didn't think it was that bad. It just wasn't something I wanted to have on my own. But I detected some notes of orange, which I thought would pair well with vodka. Then you said no gin. So what I did 
was I poured a decent splash of Fiero in the bottom of my Boston shaker. Um, I treated it like it was Lillet Blanc, which is what I would normally put in my martini in the place of a vermouth. So a, a decent size splash in there, um, well less than half an ounce, but still, you know, it well, I wasn't misting the outside of the glass. Then I put in a shot of Grey Goose vodka and a shot of um, Bombay Sapphire gin. I put in some ice, I shook it in the Boston shaker, poured it out, and it came out just perfect. Now I wanted it to stay cold for the length of this podcast, so I also put one purified water rock in there, one ice cube in there. But I really like this. It's very much like a martini. It's just got more of an undertone of orange. And typically when I'm making a martini for my wife, I'll make it with an orange peel anyway. I think that's the only thing I might have done differently. I think I would have actually tossed it with just a bit of an orange peel. But no, this is this is an amazing cocktail. I just wish I had ever seen Fiero before. But um, I mean, that liquor store is actually closer to my house than yours. And I'm pretty sure I go and buy some of that tomorrow. Yeah, it, it's pretty good stuff. So I went slightly different. I uh, I went two ounces of the gin to one ounce of vodka because I think I like gin a little bit better than you do. Uh, your standard martini usually is gin-free and mine is all of the gin. So we both kind of Although I make it with gin. Um, side story, I drank a whole lot of gin during the year that I lived in Nigeria. Those weren't good days. Now I drink less gin. Go ahead. Okay, now that's fair. So I did two ounces of the gin, one ounce of the vodka, and I did go with a full half ounce of the Fiero. So it's a little more forward in the flavor profile. Uh, I've been reading some bartender books lately, so I opted to stir my martini rather than shake because the purists out there will argue that you tend to over dilute and get crowdy, uh, cloudy if you shake. Uh, and, and, you know, we always like to do our own spin on these drinks anyway. I think shaking it actually would improve this. Yeah, I think a little crystallized ice would not be a bad addition. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised by this. I'm very pleased by it. I got to say... A bar spoon of this instead of simple syrup and orange bitters might make a nice uh, old-fashioned as well. And uh, you and I both had the thought of what would happen if we were to use this in place of, say, a triple sack or Grand Marnier and a margarita. And I even had the thought of making something like a Rob Roy with a very assertive smoky scotch, but instead of sweet vermouth going with this. So I'm a little bit intrigued with this as a mixer, and I don't think this will be my last bottle. And again, we're not sponsored, so I'm not saying this because anybody's propping us up. Although, you know, liquor reps out there for, for any anybody, we can be bought. Uh, but yeah, pretty good drink. No, it is. So one of the reasons I'm going to go buy a bottle of this specifically tomorrow is that my wife and my kids are out of town. Um, she is an extraordinarily generous lady and let me um, come home to spend some quiet time by myself, work on some of my own projects while she and the kids spend a few extra days with my in-laws. They're coming home tomorrow, though. If she's been in the car for eight hours with my children, she's going to want a cocktail and I'm betting she she will like this. Now, she'll take it with no gin at all in it. She'll take it with just the vodka. But cool, I bet I can mix that drink. Yeah, and they even the bottle recommends that you mix this half and half with tonic. I'm not the biggest tonic person. But no. yeah, I don't know. Mm, I'm, yeah, no. I, I could give it a shot. Anyway. I don't see that. So we're talking about, we're giving a big goodbye to 2023 today, John. Um. And I think the first thing we wanted to talk about were the things which opened in Vegas. So what did you think 
the biggest opening was or the biggest announcement that was made in Vegas this year? So for me, the biggest one, uh, and I kind of did this not on what is the biggest from the viewpoint of Vegas's bottom line financially or what's going to get the most people in. I just did it from the things that make me excited about future trips to Vegas. Uh, Fountain Blue opening. First of all, I, I got intrigued by the story of this 18-year um, <clears throat> absolute rolling disaster of a build that eventually yielded what everybody who's been inside says is an absolutely beautiful casino. So it's a it's a disaster story. It's a redemption story. And it just looks pretty. So my first trip to Las Vegas was Martin Luther King Day weekend of 2005 with my sister and her husband, Mark. Um, we stayed at the Stratosphere, and somebody's like, yeah, they are just now starting construction on that property over there, the Fountain Blue. It's going to be lovely. So it has been a hole in the ground for literally the entire length of my Vegas experience. I'm excited to go check it out sometime. Yeah, and uh, we're going to touch on that place in the news, and I'm already eyeballing when I'm going to get to go. Uh, I think sometime in 2024, well, I'm going to walk through the property, but I think uh, one of my goals for 2024, although I can't announce when I'm doing it because I don't have a book yet, I want to stay there at least a night. Uh, it's not a cheap, it's not a baller on a budget joint, uh, but it. I don't normally like to split my stays up, but if I can't afford to do my typical three nights in that property, I think I go for a night or two and split with another place because I really want to check it out. So do you make your big night at the, the luxury property at the Fountain Blue? Do you make it your first night or your last night in Vegas? I, I, I probably, I think I want to make it where I can do two. And I think we make it the last two. And I think this is a trip. You know, I, I think this is a, I would like to treat my wife to a little romantic getaway. It looks like a place she would dig to. And normally she likes to save money. My wife, I am frugal. My wife is cheap. I love her. She's cheap. But, but if you she, want to make it a nice event for her, you'd have to not be there, right? No, no. She likes traveling with me. She's just, I'm going to have to lie about what I spend. I'm going to have to tell her I got it for less than I did. Um, but I don't have any juice to get a comp there or discounts like i have a lot lot of hacks to get discounts on rooms although i'm hoping southwest vacations so, may throw me a good bundle i've actually i've got good news right what we're reading about the occupancy rates at the fountain blue are that a lot of nights particularly after that opening their occupancy rates are down at 20 or 30 percent and i don't think it'll stay like that forever but the reason it won't stay like that forever is they'll do the economically rational thing and start to lower prices, at least at, up, up front, right? Like at least for the first few months or so, so people get used to staying at that hotel. So I'm pretty sure that at some point, particularly for a midweek stay, you're going to have some economically reasonable opportunities there. They've just kind of got, got to get over themselves, right, about how much they're charging for this opening month. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and, but even if I have to spend a little bit, my wife's worth it, we're just going to have to work out somebody to watch our teenagers so that we can get away for three nights. But I, I think that's my goal for my, my getaway trip with my wife is fountain blue. All right. So Bill listeners to this podcast of any length of time can probably guess where your mind's going to go. Cause this is one of your favorite things to talk about, but go ahead and tell us what you uh, viewed as your biggest either opening or announcement this year. So to me, the biggest opening is one which is coming. I guess right now it's an announcement, but I'll count it as an opening because we know that it is coming. The fact that the Oakland A's are moving to Las Vegas. And the reason I think that's big is several reasons. One, I happen to be a baseball guy. Two, 
they're going to have 81 home games a year. So if you're the Raiders, you've got, depending on the year, eight or nine home games a year. You'll literally have 10 times that number of home games, which presents a whole lot of opportunities for the city for co-branding opportunities. That means that, I mean, you're going to be able to get tickets for for reasonable prices because if you've got a 30,000-seat stadium for 81 home games, that's two and a half million seats you've got to sell over the course of the year, right? Not every one of those seats is going to be horribly expensive. So I think that that's I think that's big news. It's also big news in the sense that Las Vegas is coming into its own as as its own sort of town, right? Like they've got a WNBA team, they've got an NFL team now, they've got a Major League Baseball team that is coming probably a year from now, even if they've got to play at the Aviator Stadium for a while. So I think that's big news. One of the other reasons, though, that I think it was a big opening and a big announcement is for how badly they handled some of the stuff, right? Like, even after it was announced, hey, we want to do this, they announced, what was it, like three different plans for where they were going to be? We still were now fairly sure they're going to be down at the Tropicana site, but even then, we still don't have architectural drawings or anything like that. So it's big news in its own right. And it's also a big opening, a big announcement for what they haven't announced, at least consistently, right, which is, any kind of details about precisely when they'll be playing, precisely where, with what kind of a stadium. So you were talking about promotions and branding. I don't care how many vacation days I have to burn and what it costs. If they do Mayor Oscar Goodman bobblehead night, I got to find a way to get there. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, if you're willing to lie to your wife, you can lie to your boss for a night. I will cover for you because I am a reputable sort. Right? People will believe the things I say. Probably, maybe, right? Maybe we shouldn't admit our lies when on a podcast. Huh. But I think our wives just pretend to listen to this anyway. Oh yeah, babe, I listened. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I don't think they actually wait. Does that mean that I can start to tell some of some of the stories I've been itching to tell for a long time now? Those stories will never be spoken. So, John's wife, it is important that you know that when we go to Vegas, we form a prayer group. John leads us in the eating of salads. Sometimes when we want to get wild, we don't have a half a beer. We have a whole beer. Thank you so much for letting us party. Okay. So let's move on. Uh, Biggest (laughs) closings. And again, this is not a big closing in the grand scheme of things. I'm doing my version of the list on rather selfish things. It's really not truly biggest from anybody else's point of view, just things to me. Um, and, and for me, the biggest closing is the smash pig. And this is a weird thing for me to say, because I literally just discovered this place in May. I'd been aware of it for a while, but I'd just never gone. And, uh, you were off getting a, a shave and a haircut across the street Two at El bits. Cortez. And I needed something to do because I am, you know, bald. So there's no point in going to a barber. So, uh, instead I went over to see the barber of my liver. That would be a bartender. And I had a really wonderful time. I had a little snack. I had a top of size fish and chips. The bartender, uh, introduced me to, uh, the Trinidad sour, which is now one of my favorite cocktails, ever. which we tried to make here and we um, didn't quite pull it off. We we'll, didn't, we had our favorite bartender try to make, he didn't quite pull it off. Yeah, but that's not what his bar does, but we'll, we'll circle back to that and I'll get that right eventually. But I really, <clears throat> I really fell in love with that place and then it was gone. Uh, and I feel very much, it's like, you know, in, in, in 
junior high or I guess in high school when you find out that the exchange student is really, really cool and somebody you want to hang out with and then they have to go back to whatever Eastern European country they came from and you're like, well, I just discovered the coolest thing and now never mind. It is hard for me to feel legitimately bad for another dude because in this sense, you and I were very much raised in the same kind of household, right? Like quasi-rural Texas in the 70s and 80s where, you know, boys don't cry, all that sort of thing, dad yelling at you, all that sort of, whatever. I, I don't feel a lot of emotions, particularly for other grown men, and yet... I felt bad for you after that place closed because you loved that place, right? Like that was the happiest I'd seen you in Vegas in a long time. You got to go, I think, exactly once, right? And then it shut down. So men are allowed to cry. I mean, if their favorite bar closes, that's a legit reason. I was about to say, it's the death of of a very close relative, the ending of Old Yeller, the day your truck stops running and when your favorite bar closes. So it's one of the four. I'm in there. Okay. And, and there were no actual tears. But I just, you know, it, it was the kind of place that I thought was so cool. I, I, I'm just sad that well, it, and it was very much. It. it was your kind of space, right? Like yeah. it was it was everything that John loves about Vegas. Yeah. And it really it fit my whole baller on a budget thing. It was gourmet food, gourmet cocktails in an affordable neighborhood and a price that doesn't make you hate yourself. It wasn't stuffy or pretentious, but everything was so high quality. So ah, at least I tried it once. So let's talk about my big closing of the year because it was also a space which is very much about me. And it hasn't technically closed yet, but there's been the slow rolling closure of the Mirage. (coughs) Pardon me. As it is, it slowly converts into the hard rock. Although those planes have been delayed, which means the Mirage is still open and is being sold as the Mirage, but they're removing some of the signage from the inside. I've got some videos of that up on the Dine Drink Vegas YouTube space, but that for me is big because it's, it's not quite a luxury property, but it's very, very nice. And they had two bedroom suites that I could afford. And it wasn't that expensive to pay the fee for the VIP lounge. And sometimes the suite I was in covered it anyway. They had some great restaurants and they were, you know, right next door to Caesars if you wanted others and you could get right over to the Wynn and the Venetian. So it was, um, what and, and it hasn't closed and it's going to become something else that I'm excited about, right? Like I'm interested to see the hard rock. I'm interested to see what it's going to become, but it's in this weird, like nether space between open and close. So the slow death, the slow rolling closure of the Mirage is to me, I think the biggest closing partially also because of what it reveals about how the, the nature of Vegas is changing, right? Like the Mirage was built in a time when you have great big public displays out front, like used to exist at the Treasure Island, like still exist at the Bellagio, they've got those really pretty gardens inside and all that is going away because what Vegas is, is changing. So yeah, I'm, I think the biggest closing of the year is the slow rolling closure of the Mirage. Although as of today, it's still open and I'm getting some pretty good offers for rooms there in spite of the fact that I, I haven't gambled there really in two, three years. Yeah. And I, I almost put that for mine and it is, it is, it's not that I'm sad to see the, well, I am sad to see the Mirage go, but it's not that I'm devastated because I think the hard rock is going to be cool. Uh, I'm not a very good guitar player, but I am a guitar player. I want to stay in one of the strip view uh, rooms in the guitar tower when they build that thing. So I'm excited about what's coming. But uh, 
with, you know, on a couple of guys trips. And then I took my wife there once I've stayed at the Mirage three or four times. I've been in there. I don't know, dozens and dozens of times. Um, and it is kind of zombie Mirage right now. Like it is, they could rebrand it temporarily as the tank casino. Cause it ain't <laughs> really the Mirage, but it tanked the hard rock yet either. Um, so yeah, it is. It's it's kind of weird to watch that happen. I think the end product is good, but yeah, it it's very awkward. Uh, as was the joke I was about to make, but because I am a classy, classy person, I'm not going to. So, what do you think the biggest overall event, the biggest overall happening of the year was in Vegas? Oh, for me, easily F one, and we 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 discussed it many times. We had an episode where we really focused on the after effect, uh, but yeah, I I think. Um, not just our podcast, our podcast, like we've been obsessed with the A's and F1 pretty steadily, but everything in Vegas media has been all F1 all the time. Um, yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, and there's a whole lot about formula one, which stood out to me, although for me, it wasn't so much the race itself. It was the preparations for the race and like how hard it was to get up and down Las Vegas Boulevard or across Las Vegas Boulevard. I mean, depending on when you were there and exactly where the construction was, you might have been just totally out of luck. And now that they're going to keep doing it for at least a couple more years, there's going to be an annual period of stuff like that. So it's, it is, it is a great big impact on the city. I would love to find out more about how, how financially impactful it actually was. Because my guess is Formula One split the city into winners and losers, right? Like there were a few, probably a few hotels with great views and premium packages where all of the, you know, wealthiest people in Europe stayed. And those places probably made out like bandits. And but bo- if you weren't one of those places, you're probably out of luck. Yeah. And I think, and, and you know, Jonathan Jostle on the on, on the corner of Main Street podcast has talked about it wasn't great for them. And hopefully next year they have a different plan. I will say before we go to your pick, before we move on, I had an honorable mention both in biggest opening and biggest event. And that would be uh, the U2 concert at the Sphere. Um, oh. I, I, I want to check out the Sphere. I would have loved to have caught that U2 concert or at least the free concert uh, by the uh, carousel bar at a plaza that they did the night before the big show that that was an honorable mention for me in either of these spots. And I think without F1, that probably would have been my event because I think U2 putting on that kind of show and then giving the free concert the night before so they could shoot that music video. Really cool. So that's my honorable mention for either of those categories. You know, I'll allow it, right? That actually makes a whole lot of sense. For me, I think the biggest event happening of the year, much as you've talked about Formula One before, and so have I, the biggest event happening of the year is one that I've talked about before, but that's because of a job I used to have. And that's the fact that water is coming back into Lake Mead. Um, Y'all, if Lake Mead gets below a certain point, and I can't remember the exact level for Deadpool off the top of my head, but if it gets below a certain point, then the Hoover Dam quits generating electricity, which impacts a lot of people. And more to the point, Las Vegas starts to get thirsty in a hurry. Now, the Southern Nevada Water Authority is actually one of the best organized government agencies, organizations that I think I've ever seen. They are doing everything they possibly can to conserve water. However, I mean, at some point, you still got a few million people who need something to drink and wash their clothes with and to bathe with and all of that. So the fact that the water levels have gone up back a little bit past 2021 levels, I think is huge. 
There's an anticipated good snowpack this year, which should make them go up again. There is an agreement amongst the states in the lower basin, as well as the Bureau of Reclamation, to limit some water use from the downstream users, which should help the lake. So I think that is, if you want to talk about absolutely big, like just ginormous news stories in Vegas, I don't think you can get a bigger one than that because the opportunity for that lake to recover, or at least by the people of Las Vegas another couple of years to figure out what to do, I think is absolutely critical. So yeah, now I'm, I'm not even sorry. That's one I'll continue to talk about and monitor in news when we come to our listeners next year. I think the fact that Lake Mead actually has a shot and has undone a couple of the, the really bad years of damage. I think that's absolutely critical. No, you're you're absolutely right. And it's the thing that most travel podcasts would overlook. And uh, you're spot on. And I also will say that as far as I know, we are the only podcast that is going to give you, in the same episode, thoughtful, insightful commentary about water conservation in the Mojave Desert. And a deep commentary on the word taint. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else does this. Like we are, we are providing a service. Okay. So now let's get into our biggest WTF moment. Now we did some WTF um, news stories last week and it's Vegas. We'll have more in the future. Uh, But my biggest WTF moment of the year uh, going back to, and you, you alluded to this when we talked about F1 a minute ago, I'm still not over the, not just boarding up the sky bridges because I kind of got, got that to a degree. Number one, the videos of the really surly, salty security just going hard at people on the sky bridge. And number two, the county commissioners in Clark County actually amending the law to where if you stop in the middle of that bridge to catch a picture of the strip or get a selfie or whatever, you might find yourself um in the uh getting the undivided attention of of law enforcement and i just i really 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 hate yeah that is yeah. that is an obnoxious purchase of the local government by the formula 1 people like yeah. i'm I, yeah. I i try to avoid using phraseology like that and you you and i have taught politics at some length and i think it's fair to say in which we will never ever do on this show, but I think it's fair to say I'm not apt to to absolute statements like that. But that's just that's obnoxious, right? And I can't get any other way to that decision than by thinking that Formula One has way too much influence with the, the Clark County government. I just I've got a you know we're not going to talk politics now, other than I'm going to say this: I have some very libertarian leanings. Number one. The idea that a government can tell me that if I'm standing on a public walkway and I'm not standing in such a way that I'm obstructing the ability of other people to pass by and I just want to pause and take in the scenery. That that in a city somehow, that's built for you to well, take and, in the and, scenery. And I'm going to get there next, yeah. but let me get the, I, I do want to get the Cool. Go ahead. America out, right? Like I'm, I'm got, you know, this is as close to right wing radio commentary as you're getting from me on this podcast. But the idea that the government is going to tell me that I can't stop and enjoy the freaking view bothers me. But then number two, this is a tourist area. Part of the reason why. 
part of the reason why you have those sky bridges is because you know tourists are going to be gobsmacked by the scenery and you don't want them to pause when they're crossing the street and playing Frogger, right? So those sky bridges exist to allow tourists to safely make their way across Las Vegas Boulevard while soaking in the visual treat that is the Las Vegas Strip. So I, I, I think it is un-American from a civil liberties point of view, but I also think it is absolutely asinine for the financial thing that makes that entire valley go. My God, let the tourists stop and catch a view. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense to me. So I'm to, off my soapbox. I'm sorry. Uh, you know what? I suspect you will find another soapbox on which to stand one day soon. Probably. Much as my soapbox <laughs> is a certain buffet. Yes. Um, but to me, the so I had originally been thinking about doing an entire Whiskey Tango Foxtrot episode of this show. And maybe one day we do. Because there's been a lot of weird stuff that's happened in Vegas this year. Like I talked earlier, the, um, the A's announcing a moving to Vegas without actually having a plan. But to me, the biggest Whiskey Tango Foxtrot WTF moment of the year was this was the first year that we really saw the impact of MGM deprioritizing spending for elite status. And on the one hand, I mean, they're obviously better at running a big business than I am. Um, and maybe there's something I'm missing. And they absolutely still do give tier points based on the spending. They just give a lot less of them than they used to. And now more of your tier status is linked to how much you actually gamble. And I get it. You want people to gamble. But I went from being platinum to pearl based on those changes. And I can't be the only one. And I get it. I'm not one of the big whale gam gamblers, right? Like I'm a whale in terms of what my gut looks like, but I'm not a whale in terms of gambling. And sure, you would like to have somebody else with those gambling dollars come. But what those changes have meant is that I'm now not spending my dollars. I used to just reflexively go to MGM because they would value the things that I did, right? So I would always stay in their hotels. I would make a point of making sure our restaurants were in an MGM restaurant. I would quite frequently go to the spa. I would, I would spend lots and lots of money on MGM properties, and I scaled that back a lot yeah. this year. Now, yeah. and, and again, this isn't just about Bill, right? Like I, I'm using me as a stand-in for a whole what I assume to be a whole lot of other folks, the only way that decision makes part on the sense of MGM is if the dollars you're no longer getting from me got replaced by somebody else. And maybe, but my guess is there aren't that many people who are willing to lose quite a few thousands of dollars in the casino. And then if you, you're comping them where I was just outright paying you for rooms before, you know what? I would love to understand the accounting behind that particular yeah. decision, but that is to me absolutely the biggest WTF moment. I don't understand that business decision because I know I've spent, I haven't spent thousands less in Vegas. I've just spent thousands less at MGM properties. Because there's no value in it. I mean, I've got an MGM credit card and like it's at the point now where instead of my credit card points getting me the ability to get things comped, to go to the M Life desk and transfer those over to room and dining, it gets me free play, which... I don't hate free play, um, but in all honesty, 
Yeah, it's not the good deal that it was pre-pandemic. And it's not just that they're not giving you the same attention for spin that they used to. Uh, but they, they've always done this. And, and most properties do. Like video poker players, and that's my game. Video poker players get far less return than a slot player or a table player. But here's the thing. Back in the days when you could find a 9-6 machine reliably, and you know the house edge was less than a percent playing video poker i got it right the house that, edge was less than a percent if you were making statistically correct decisions as you enjoyed their alcohol which i was up till about drink number 4 but but now like 75 is considered good at an mgm property Oof. so now they've 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 put the player odds at video poker to where the house edge is much bigger than it was before and still they don't honor that and not only that games like video craps apparently don't get you anything because you and i sat there with our buddy zero and for a while and and i mean you know like a few days and we're putting you know every time the dice roll we were putting in you know, it's a five dollar minimum, but you know, at different points on that board, we might We'd have, have forty or fifty bucks out at, at any one time because of the least, multiple bets that you make in craps, right? And it's every roll of the dice. So you know, I'm not putting fifty dollars a spin in a slot machine, and and MGM is only valuing table games and slots. They don't care about video poker, even though the words of odds of video poker are worse than they've ever been. But still, they haven't accounted for that in points. Video craps, which is a high volatility game with a big house edge, and 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 it's a five dollar minimum. So it's not you know you get more value for an eighty eight cent slot roll than a roll of the dice where you might have fifty sixty bucks. That seems insane to me. And then they don't value your spend in the property. And if you have the credit card, those credit card points can only be used for free play in the machines that are heavily weighted in the house's favor. And I get it that the house always has an edge, but I feel like MGM used to value me way more than they do now. But I got good news, Bill. We're going to switch to news. Actually, hold on. I do want to, I want to say one last thing on that because like I got a, um, I got an offer in the mail today for a couple of free nights from TI. And I used to stay at TI a lot back in the day and I loved it. And I got a couple of days ago, I got an offer in the mail for um, a couple of free nights at, at um, I just for Resorts World, which I know I like because I stayed there previously when I was upset at MGM. Um, and I got something from the Golden Nugget. So, and I want to try out Fountain Blue. So there are other good choices there. And I don't know. I guess I'm going to go try out those other choices. Yeah. And and I get it. Like MGM is not losing money, so we can gripe all we want. They're making money. So there's no impetus for them to change. But I just do feel like, um, I, I, and I'm not saying I won't stay there, but yeah, I don't feel valued by them the way I once did. And, and, and the weird thing is me five years ago had less money to spend in Vegas than I do now. And MGM showed me a lot more love back then when I had less money to spend than they do today when I'm several promotions and raises later and I could be a little bit more free in my spending choices in Vegas. And that's weird to me that when I was in there and I was truly like I was on such a budget that there wasn't no baller about it (laughs) and they gave me more love then than they do now when my average spend when I go to Vegas is significantly higher than it used to be. 
That's just weird, man. That is weird. Well, what's on in the news in Vegas, John? So relating to that, uh, I was listening to uh, an episode of On the Corner of Main Street. That is the podcast put out by the Plaza. Their uh, their uh, their boss, Jonathan Jossel, is one of the main hosts there. Great podcast. Uh, I think ours is pretty darn good. But uh, if you only listen to one Vegas podcast, I wish it was us, but it should probably be that one. Uh, and they were interviewing... Uh, let me make sure I get her name right. Colleen Birch, who's the chief operating officer at, at Fountain Blue Las Vegas. And she announced on that podcast that Fountain Blue's reward card, and I want to quote her, is spend agnostic. And what she means by that is, and she said it, they don't care how you spend the money, whether it's gambling, dining, the spa, your room, all spending in Fountain Blue will be rewarded with points in their program. Now, I have no idea how the tiers work and the comps, so I'm not sure whether that's going to work out as good in real life as it sounded on the podcast. But after our frustrations with MGM, I got to tell you, that sounded awfully good to me. And that does sound fantastic. Now, the problem is that any hotel loyalty points you get from the Fountain Blue won't be any won't be helpful at any other properties in Vegas. And there's not a whole lot up there on the north end of the Strip, although there's increasingly more, right? So that's, that's something of an option. But still, no, I'm, I'm excited about that because, of course, I will gamble when I'm in Vegas. And, of course, I will lose more op- money more often than I will win it. But most of the money I spend in Vegas doesn't have anything to do with gambling. Most of the money I spend in Vegas is from eating out or from going to the spa or from... I don't know if you knew this, John, but sometimes when I go to Vegas, I'll buy a cocktail, right? Yeah. Like that That's a thing, which yeah. I've done before. Um, and I kind of like to do it at the hotel I'm at most frequently. Yeah. So, you know what? That's a place for me to check out. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, I don't do the spa, but I do pool cabanas when I can afford them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and I haven't seen what their pricing structure is going to be like. And, you know, I've never, I don't do $1,000 on a pool cabana. But if we get a big enough group, I will, if we can all buy in. But, but my wife and I have been known to drop a relatively good amount of money for two people to have a good pool day. And uh, like I said, once upon a time that was valued at MGM. If Fountain Blue's going to honor that, I got to tell you, that may very quickly become my jam on the strip. I I think I'm still a downtown person, but yeah, they're speaking my language. No, absolutely. Well, I guess in other news, um, and this will just be a short one, but CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, runs January 9th through 12th. So folks, if you haven't spent a lot of time in Vegas, of course Vegas loves you know just regular tourists like you and me who come as a one-off. But how they make their really serious money is through big conventions and shows. And CES is about the biggest one. The upshot of that is if you're planning on going in early January and you don't already have a reservation, get one like now. And if you've already got your reservation, don't expect to just walk into restaurants, particularly the nice restaurants, and just eat. You need... If you're going to be there between January 9 and 12, because CES is in town, um, make your reservations in advance, even if that's not something that you normally want to do. And anytime that you're going, thinking about a trip to Vegas, just Google like conventions in Vegas. I mean, there are any number of ways to see what the big groups are that are coming. Pick a date when there's not a convention there, and it will almost always be cheaper. Yeah, and I remember Lori and I, we we did a couple's trip. You know, she and I had a private getaway there, and we were staying at the Venetian 
Uh, and again, we got a great deal on Southwest Vacations, and we're not sponsored by them, although Southwest, you can throw us money. But we just caught a deal where our airfare and our stay at the Venetian was cheaper than booking our plane tickets and staying at Park, Park MGM separately. I like Park MGM, but if I can have Venetian for cheaper, actually, technically, we were in the Palazzo. And we, we got lounge access. So if I can get the Palazzo with the lounge versus running the house at him, yeah, I'm doing that. And that's- um, but the last day they we were there, there was some kind of executive conference in there. I think it was like cybersecurity. Anyway, it was nerdy guys in business suits. But they the EDM festival was also rolling in. And it was kind of fun sitting at some of the bars watching these very square professional guys try to hit on all the goth chicks. So that was <laughs> that was uh, some prime quality people watching. So yeah, conventions in Vegas. Um you, you get to see an interesting mix of people, but yeah, you, it can affect your room rates. It can, it can affect hotel reservations. It can affect surge pricing for Uber and Lyft. Uh, I'm not saying you should avoid Vegas when there's a big convention, not by any means, but just, yeah, Bill's right. Check the calendar and just be aware of the things that are going on that could impact your Vegas experience and plan accordingly. Cool. Well, so John, what's this I'm reading about an Edgar Allan Poe-themed pop-up? So uh, at a place downtown called Notoriety Live, and I thought I knew Fremont Street very well, but I don't know this particular venue. Uh, Through January 4th through 6th, they're going to do an Edgar Allan Poe pop-up. They're calling it a speakeasy. It's in a venue that's usually used as a comedy club. They've got some performers, so I'm assuming we're either getting skits or dramatic readings of some opposed poems and short stories that have been reimagined with a modern twist, they say, and some Edgar Allan Poe-themed cocktails. Now, I'm guessing this isn't your thing as much as it would be mine, uh, but it's only going on for three nights. Bill, how do you feel about the novelty pop-ups? Uh, and even if this one isn't for you, what kind of pop-ups would you like to see? Are there any themed events that could get your attention? You know, I'm sure there are. It's just not where my head goes when I'm planning a trip to Vegas. So it almost have to be one of those things that I stumbled past and happened to notice because it's not ever the sort of thing that I'm going to plan in advance. Yeah, I got to tell you, if uh, my first day back to work from the holiday break is January 4th, and we've got a big event on January 8th that I've got to get ready for, um, if I if, if I could somehow justify the time away from work and get the days off, I would jump on this. I wish they would do stuff like this more often. I think this sounds like an awful lot of fun. Uh, and it's right up my alley. All right, last story is sports ball. So, Bill, walk us through it. Sports gambling, and we did this a couple of episodes ago, but one of the huge things which happens in Vegas is sports gambling, and we've got the college football playoff semifinals coming up on New Year's Day, where actually I think John and I are going to go out to our remote satellite location to watch the games because then our wives can't hear a shell at the TVs. But in terms of sports gambling, um, Michigan's favored against Alabama. Michigan is dropping two against Alabama, and I don't, I don't, I don't think that's right. I think that I mean Michigan has certainly played a couple of tough games, particularly the Ohio State game. But I think that Alabama's got something to prove. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that so y'all when they set sports lines. They're not making a prediction of how close the game is going to be. The odds maker set it so that there's an equal amount of money bet on both sides. For example, you've usually got to bet 110 bucks to win 100 on a football game. What that means is that the same amount of money is bet on both sides. 
then the house wins, right? Like that extra 10 bucks in there. Um, but that means there's more money on Michigan than Alabama right now, and I'm not sure I see that. Texas is a fairly heavy favorite against Washington. Texas is dropping four points against Washington, and I just don't see that at all. And I'm trying to overcome my cognitive biases here because I'm, I'm a Texas A&M guy, in spite of the fact that my brother-in-law went to Texas and my father went to Texas and everybody I know went there, whatever. I'm the oddball. But Texas has had a, a, a couple of tough games this year. Um, I think Washington has played stiffer competition all year. And, uh, I mean, Washington, I think I'd take Washington in that game anyway, but Washington plus four points is certainly what I would take. But what that means, folks, is that there is a whole, that doesn't mean that the odds makers think Texas is a better team. It means there is more money coming in on Texas than there is coming in on Washington. Y'all don't don't bet with your hearts, bet with your heads. When my head is telling me something that makes my heart unhappy about a sports ball game, I just don't bet on that game. Yeah, I got to tell you, I can't stand Nick Saban. Um, but he's pretty good at football. I would way rather see Michigan win. I will root for Michigan. But were I in the land of neon lights and bad decisions, my money would be on Alabama. I think Saban is angry. I think Yeah, he's uh, got something to prove. I think the frustration of his program over the last few years is a sign that the devil hasn't kept up the devil's end of whatever deal he and Nick Saban have. <laughs> And has to come even otherwise, Satan has to cede control of Nick Saban, of hell to Nick Saban upon Nick's death. And Satan doesn't want that. I think Michigan is going to get absolutely demolished. Now, nobody bet because I said that because I'm a sports idiot. I, I have rooted for the Cowboys yeah, all my You're not my just life. a sports idiot. Well, okay. Thank you for that. But yeah, I, I got to say, as much as I hate Alabama... I, I think Michigan is going to get smoked. I don't think that's a close game. All right. What about the Texas-Washington game? I, I think with that one, I, I actually view that more as a, a toss-up. Like, I hear what you're saying about the strength of schedule, but then again, and I hate to admit this because I hate the SEC. I hate the SEC because I think they, I think the way they built their league and, and the way they, they, they push around TV providers, they're kind of the bullies of college football. You can look at strength of schedule in the purest form. Which team do we think has played better teams throughout the course of the season? But there's something that happens in SEC games where that ceases to matter as much. And it, you know, and I get it, Texas is still in the Big 12, so I'm an idiot again. But at any rate, yeah, I I, I, I just – because they're going to so, the SEC. But if it's I, a toss-up – Martini was strong. I still view this as a toss-up. I'm not putting money on this game. If it's a toss-up game, though, and somebody's forcing you to put money on it, then you take the team which is giving you points, and Washington gives you four extra points. I And I, and I get that. I don't know. I kind of think we're looking to Texas, Alabama, and the national championship. That would be a lot of fun for me to watch. Well, John, is it time for us to roll out? Yeah, I think we're going to roll the music. So, Bill, why don't you give everybody updates on our social media outlets and channels and let them know how and where to find us. So, folks, we have a popular YouTube channel at Dine Drink Vegas. We also have a second YouTube channel, which has traditionally been Dine Drink Cruise. We are rebranding that as Dine Drink Travel. 
Look there for on Dine Drink Travel for information about air travel, airport lounges, and an upcoming trip I'm making to Ireland. And so in January, we're going to come back with our uh, 2024 preview with our Vegas plans, such as they are. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about where we think the Super Bowl might be going, because that is a Vegas-related story, and whatever else pops into our pea little brains. Until then, we thank you so much for listening. Please tell a friend, because we're always looking for more listeners, and safe travels out there.